Ra hum ra taruna runa runa run tahora kumba kumba nun tahora hara lamba nun da lamba tara munda run da munda ramda runda ramda munda lamba munda tom. To Isengard, the Isengard, be ringed and barred with doors of stone. The Isengard, be strong and hard and cold as stone and bare as bone. We go, we go, we go to war to hew the stone and break the door. For bowl and bow are burning now, the furnace roars, we go to war. To land of gloom with tramp of doom, with roll of drum, we come, we come. To Isengard, with doom we come, with doom we come, with doom we come. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Radio, the one podcast to rule them all. The home of Lord of the Rings Radio is LOTRradio.com. This is episode 7, and it is November 2005. For this month's episode, we are going to be talking about Ringers, Lord of the Fans. I'm going to review that. just came out on DVD. I'm also going to talk about my top 10 Tolkien-related gifts for Christmas. And for character discussion, we are going to discuss Tom Bombadil. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to remind you that uh, you should check out our website, lotrradio.com. There's a forum there. You can talk about Tolkien's work with other fans. You can uh, submit suggestions for the podcast. Uh, you can also email me. My email address is aaronawolf at gmail.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-A-W-O-L-F-E at gmail.com. I also want to encourage uh, listener contribution. We've had uh, some good contributions in the past, and I'm looking forward to getting some more. Uh, so if you want to record yourself uh, you know, with some Tolkien poetry or, or reading or, or whatever you want to do, um, just uh, go ahead and record it. You can email it to me if you want to ask me about it before you do. That's fine. Uh, you can email me, or you can go to the forum and, and uh, make a suggestion there. So we'll get right into the review of Ringer's Lord of the Fans. Ringer's Lord of the Fans was just released on DVD November 22nd, so you can all go out and rent it, buy it. Um, it was out in theaters earlier this year, um, or maybe last Christmas. I don't remember when it came out in theaters. Um, it wasn't anywhere near me, so I didn't get a chance to see it, so I had to wait for the DVD. Uh, Ringer's Lord of the Fans is directed by Carlene Cordova. Uh, Dominic Monaghan from Lord of the Rings is the narrator. And what Ringer's Lord of the Fans is, is basically a, a documentary uh, discussing the history of Tolkien's work, but more than that, the history of Tolkien fandom. One of the initial feelings I got from the documentary when I put it in was kind of this low-budget feeling, and I don't mean that in a negative way. This is all very uh, professionally done, well put together. But you just get this feeling that this was something that was made by fans, which I think is great. And... You know, it's not some corporatized documentary, kind of like the the National Geographic uh, DVDs that come, came with some of the films. Not that those are bad. I, I love those too. But this just really has a really fan feeling to it. It's done by fans and a lot of great interviews with fans. The documentary really starts uh, where Tolkien started with his writing about how he wrote stories and, and read them to his own children and how his friends kind of encouraged him to write uh, write a novel to be published. And they describe how The Hobbit came about and The Lord of the Rings followed it. Uh, but after they, they get through the the beginning there, they, they get into Tolkien fans and how they progressed through the decades. And it's really one of the most interesting parts of the documentary, how Tolkien fandom... and it, they're really talking about Tolkien fandom in, in the United States, how it changed from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s, and how um, 
Tolkien was embraced by kind of the hippie counterculture of the 60s, and that popularity continued to the 70s. And then it's kind of interesting, they get to talking about the, the animated films, and they kind of bring those across as the beginning of a dark age for Tolkien fandom, which I might not agree with, but I, I think that, you know, in the 80s, uh, Tolkien fandom maybe declined. It was always there underground, but uh, and they kind of bring it across that way, too, that with uh, these animated movies, which a lot of people didn't like, you know, they were kind of silly and uh, didn't really do justice to Tolkien's work. I mean, they're entertaining in their own right, uh, but they kind of brought that across as sort of the beginning of the dark age for Tolkien fandom. The interviews, of course, are the real strength of this documentary. There's tons of interviews. Um, pretty much all the main characters in the cast are covered. They're all interviewed. Um, but what I liked more than that was the fans that they interviewed and also some other stars and you know Hollywood people that, that they talked about. My favorite was David Carradine, who had quite a few uh, little spots throughout the documentary. i big David Carradine fan, and I'd love to hear some of the things he had to say. And the fans, of course, too, were, were really neat to hear other, other fans' reactions. Um, it kind of gives you an idea of just how big and how, uh, well, I guess nutty some of us Tolkien fans are. Uh, to make us do silly things like Tolkien-related podcasts, and uh, even compared to some of some of the fans that they interviewed, I'm I'm pretty mild, so I guess I don't feel quite quite as strange as maybe I should. They also spend a good deal of time in Ringer's Lord of the Fans talking about the themes of Tolkien. Um, they spend a good deal talking about kind of Tolkien's love of of nature and trees, and you know the purpose of the Ents and how they symbolized his, uh, you know, they were his protectors of the environment. And they get into other things about industrialization, and, and and they talk about a lot of the interviews that they do, the people talk about what Tolkien means to them. And it's really interesting to hear that from a bunch of different point of views, because everybody gets something a little different from it. And I think you, you add that all up, and you get, you know, this great work, uh, and one of these things, I, th- I believe uh, Sean Astin said this, that you know, reading this, you just get this picture that Tolkien knew how human beings worked. And I, I think that's exactly right. I think he, the way he writes, he just, he knows how to write people. And that's why all of his characters feel so real. And, and they really cover that well in the documentary. The documentary also covers the internet and how that has kind of changed the the world of Tolkien fandom, and they go on to talk about uh, Tolkien collectibles. There's a nice, catchy little song about Tolkien collectibles. They talk about New Zealand, and they they just wrap everything up very nicely, and it, you know, kind of finish up the review. I would say uh, Ringer's Lord of the Fans would get four and a half out of five stars. If you're a Tolkien fan, if you love the movies, you love the books, you need to at least rent this and see it. it it's really good. Um, some of the things I might add, that nothing I would take out, you know. Of course, I always want more. You know, I, I wish they could have added another half an hour. It would have been great. Uh, but all in all, very good, very professional, looks great, sounds great. You know, all the interviews are great. Um, one thing to check out is the special features on the DVD. They have some uh, pretty good interviews with some fans in the special features. So make sure you check that out. So 
Everybody go out and rent it. Go buy it. It's a great movie. Great documentary. Everybody should see it. Moving on to our next segment, I am going to give you my top ten Tolkien gift ideas for the holiday season this year. It's almost December now. It's coming up here quick. I know every year my wife is, what do you want for Christmas? And, you know, I tell her, you know, I'm a Lord of the Rings nut. Give me anything Tolkien related and I'll probably love it. Um, There's a lot of stuff out there, though, and, well, to be honest, a lot of it is garbage, you know. With these great, wonderful movies we got, we got a lot of crap, too. Um, There's a lot of bad Tolkien stuff out there, but there's a lot of great stuff, too. You you take the bad with the good, there's a lot lot more good stuff than bad stuff. So, today I am going to give you what I think are the the top ten gifts for Christmas this year. Alright, so we'll start with number ten. And number ten on my list is calendars. Tolkien-related calendars. Now, I know you might think that uh, you don't really want a calendar for Christmas. It's kind of a plain old gift that you get for somebody when you don't know what to get them. But there's a lot of really cool Tolkien calendars out there. Uh, You go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any place, really, you'll find ten or twelve different Lord of the Ring or Tolkien calendars. The best one I've seen, in my opinion, is the uh, art of Lord of the Rings. And what it is, it's visualizations that they used for the movies. And I'm not sure if uh, the art in the calendar is actually done by Alan Lee or or John Howe or not, or if it's just something else. But uh, it's a really cool-looking calendar. So that is number 10 on my list. Number 9 on my list of best Tolkien presents for Christmas this year is... Lord of the Rings DVD Trivial Pursuit. Now, I got the original Lord of the Rings Trivial Pursuit back uh, when it first came out two years ago, I think. I believe I got that for Christmas, in fact. And that that was okay. You know, to tell you the truth, I've only played it a couple times because, well, my wife doesn't want to play it with me and I can't find anybody else who will. But uh, DVD Trivial Pursuit is really cool. I've played it in other types, not Lord of the Rings. Uh, But it's really cool, and uh, on the DVD, there is, there's 800 questions on the DVD. There's you know 2,500 questions. It is movie based, not not based on the books. I'd love to see a, a actual trivia pursuit based on the books and not the movies. But uh, just the fact that you got the DVD too makes this a really cool gift. Uh, I don't know if I'll get it or not, but we'll see. Maybe I, I've asked for it. It's on my list. So that is number nine. That's uh, Lord of the Rings DVD Trivial Pursuit. Number eight on my list is the animated movie collection. Now this comes with the uh, Rankin-Bass Hobbit, the Rankin-Bass Return of the King, and also the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings. All three together, I think Amazon has them for thirty-six bucks for all three. Uh, these are three, you know, entertaining movies. They're not, they're not the new trilogy, but if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, big Tolkien fan. You, you need to at least watch them, so either go rent them, get them for Christmas, uh, be a fun thing to watch Christmas Day. So this is number eight on my list of Tolkien gifts, the animated movie collection. Number seven on my list of Lord of the Rings gifts for Christmas this year is Lord of the Rings Pinball. Uh, Stern Pinball makes a you know, full-sized, regular Lord of the Rings pinball machine. Uh, now this is the most expensive gift on my list. 
at uh, something like $5,000, but uh, it looks pretty cool. I've always wanted a pinball machine in my house. I'll probably never have one, but if I had to get a pinball machine and I had 5000 bucks laying around to spend, this is what I'd get. So if you have a rich uncle who likes to spoil you or uh, uh, someone who just likes to throw their money away on frivolous Christmas gifts, ask for this. This is the uh, big dollar item to get this year. That is Lord of the Rings Pinball at number 7. Number 6 on my list is Ringer's Lord of the Fans. I already talked about it, so I'm not going to say much about it now. But uh, if you're a Tolkien fan, you got to have it. Uh, this maybe should be a little higher on the list, but I stuck it here for some reason. So Ringer's Lord of the Fans, number 6. Number 5 on the list of best Tolkien gifts for the holidays is The Lord of the Rings Sketchbook uh, by Alan Lee. And what this is is a big collection of Alan Lee's sketches, uh, both for the movies and, and just otherwise. Uh, it's a nice, big, thick book, hardcover. You know, there's a lot of captions, it uh, looks like, for the individual sketches. Uh, I love Alan Lee's artwork. He's he's great. You know, he go to, he's got a great website, too, if you don't know about it. Uh, he's got a lot of his work there. And, you know, the movies are a lot better because he helped in the production. So this is a one very high on my list, Lord of the Rings Sketchbook by Alan Lee at number 5. Number 4 on my list is the Lord of the Rings audiobook, the unabridged version, read by Rob Inglis. This is the best audio version of Lord of the Rings. I've listened to every one I could find. I think I've listened to all of them. And and they're all good, but Rob Inglis is the best. He is amazing the way he he reads these books the way he changes characters voices it's great you know he you can tell you know you can tell Aragorn from Frodo from Sam I mean it's unabridged so it's exactly as it's written but he just brings it to life and uh, it's a great audiobook if you love audiobooks and you don't have this already you need to have it 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 is the best Lord of the Rings audiobook out there so Lord of the Rings unabridged audiobook read by Rob Inglis at number four. Number three on my list is the complete recordings from Fellowship of the Ring. Now what this is is a new soundtrack from the movie from Fellowship of the Ring. It is everything. I know when I bought the original soundtrack for Fellowship of the Ring I I listened to it I'm like well gosh wasn't there this one part in the movie that I really liked that wasn't in the soundtrack? Well there is because you know obviously they can't fit all the music in the movie into these soundtracks. Uh, so what this is, it's everything. It's like at three or four discs, I'm not sure. It comes out December 13th, so it's not out yet. Uh, but it's everything. It's it, It's got all the, the music that's in the first soundtrack, and then it's got the complete score. So it's got the you know three-hour movie score, basically, on it. So, you know, I love the soundtracks. They're wonderful soundtracks. Probably the best soundtrack in my opinion, ever. Of course, I'm biased. So I'm really looking forward to this. At number three, the complete recordings from Fellowship of the Ring. Number two on my list of gifts for the holidays this year is the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, If you don't have this and you're a big Tolkien fan, you have to have it. What the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien is, is a collection of letters he wrote, uh, mostly to his son Christopher, but to some other people too. And, you know, reading these letters, most of them are specifically about the Lord of the Rings as he was writing it, um, and, and after he finished. And it, it just gives you a great 
perspective, from the author's perspective, of of what he was going through, what he meant for certain characters. It just brings a lot more detail and and gives you a really awesome inside look at at what the author was thinking. And you know, it's all it's all written by Tolkien. It's it's great stuff. Really interesting. Really gives you a, a new perspective on the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's other work. It's a must-have for any Tolkien fan. You know. The four books you have to have if you're a Tolkien fan. Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and Silmarillion, and this. I mean, there's you should have them all, but if you're only going to have four, those are the four to have. So, at number two on the list, The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien by Tolkien. Okay, so we're at the top of the list. The number one Tolkien gift for Christmas this year. Now, it's another expensive one. What I chose for number one is a red carpet tour of Middle-earth. And what this is, is uh, basically a tour of New Zealand. And it's uh, pretty expensive. It's something like 4000 New Zealand dollars, which is, uh, I don't know, what, 2500 U.S. dollars? Something like that. Um, but what they do, they take you around to all the places that the film was uh, filmed, from Hobbiton to Emin Mule, Mordor, Mount Doom, Gollum's Fishing Pool, uh, Isengard Gardens, Lothorian, Gladden Fields... Uh, Pelennor Fields, uh, uh, Edoras, Verandu and Misty Mountains. I'm just reading off their website here. It's basically every place. Now, you know, all the sets are gone, so all you're going to see is the landscape. But, uh, you know, I've never been to New Zealand, but it looks like a beautiful place to go, you know, aside from the fact that Lord of the Rings was shot there. But, you know, I think it'd be really cool to go there and, uh, period. And, It'd be really cool to go and see all these places that the film was shot. Uh, something I want to do before I die. Uh, I'm probably not going to get this for Christmas this year, but one of these years we'll see. Um, but this this company, Red Carpet Tours, puts this all together. Now, you can go yourself probably and see all this stuff and, and do it cheaper and maybe have a better time. I don't know. Sometimes going on a tour isn't the best thing. Uh, but they do offer it. Uh, doesn't include airfare, so you can add another whatever from wherever you are I can't imagine it's cheap to get to New Zealand so at number one on my Christmas list gifts for Tolkien fans this year is Red Carpet Tours Middle Earth Tour in New Zealand alright so that's my top ten gifts for Tolkien fans this year I will try and get a list up on the website uh, with links to all those things if you want to check them out Uh, so go to the website lotrradio.com if you want to have a look at my top ten list our character discussion for episode seven is Tom Bombadil now Bombadil's part in Lord of the Rings is one of those pieces of of the story that Tolkien probably could have left out and it wouldn't hurt the overall story but the fact that he puts them in along with other little pieces along the way really adds the depth of Middle Earth, it makes it feel like a you know a real place. I think Bombadil really adds to that feeling, and of course, um, as many other things do, it's Bombadil is kind of this mystery that Tolkien really just kind of half tells us about. So it it leaves a lot of questions, which I think is great. You know, you get done reading that part of the book, and you have all kinds of questions about who he is and what he is and why he's there. And Tolkien doesn't answer those, so we are left to try and figure them out for ourselves. 
So I'll start with the question of what is Tom Bombadil? Now in The Hobbits encounter him in Lord of the Rings, he's described as shorter than a man, so that rules out a man, rules out an elf. He's basically described as dwarf size. He's, they, I believe they say he's thicker or heavier than a hobbit. But um, when Tom Bombadil talks about himself, he says he's the eldest. He said he's, he has been in Middle-earth before, since before the elves went into the west, so that means he has to be immortal, basically, so he can't be a dwarf. Uh, so he's immortal, and he's not an elf, which would have to make him either a Vala or a Maya. And since Tolkien seems to account for all the Vala in the Silmarillion, I would say he has to be a Maya. Now when you talk about Bombadil, you might as well also talk about Goldberry. Goldberry is Bombadil's wife. Uh, it doesn't really say that in The Lord of the Rings, but if you read The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, uh, there's a, a story in there about their marriage, so they are Maya and wife, and uh, I suppose it's probable that Goldberry is also a Maya, although I suppose it's possible that she could be an elf, uh, but she's described as the River Daughter, which makes me think perhaps she is a Maya of the House of Ulmo, who is the Lord of the Waters, the Vala of the Waters. I believe the most interesting thing we get out of uh, the Bombadil sections in The Lord of the Rings is uh, the whole encounter with, with the ring, where uh, Frodo actually gives it up to him, which in itself is surprising that he would uh, let someone else handle it, uh, but then Bombadil puts it on and he doesn't become invisible. And later, of course, Frodo puts it on and tries to sneak away, and, and Tom Bombadil seems to see him. Now, I wonder if it's the fact that the ring has no power over Bombadil, or if I have to believe that someone with a strong enough will, someone powerful enough, could put the ring on and not become invisible. I have to believe that you, know, you can, if you're powerful enough, you can control the ring to do the kinds of things you want to do. So if you don't want to be invisible and you put the ring on, you don't become invisible. I would have to think that you know, Gandalf could do that. Elrond could be, probably do that. Galadriel, you know, possibly Aragorn. Because it doesn't always make sense to want to be invisible. Of course, Sauron put on the ring. He probably wouldn't be invisible unless he desired to be. So I think that it's not that the ring had no power over Bombadil, that he had enough power to control it. Now, I know later at the Council of Elrond, someone, one of the other elves, I believe, said that he seemed to have a power over the ring, and uh, I don't know if it was Elrond or, or Gandalf, I'm not going to look it up, um, said that, no, he right, say rather that the ring has no power over him. And that's probably true, but I think he has the power to control the ring. I think he is one of the few beings in Middle-earth who could have taken this ring and used it um, and certainly defeated Sauron, although perhaps and probably would have been corrupted by the evil of the ring eventually. Another interesting thing is Bombadil didn't seem to be troubled by the ring at all or by the what was happening in the, in the south of Middle-earth with the rise of Sauron and the ring race being abroad. Uh, didn't seem to bother him, although it didn't seem like much really bothered Tom Bombadil. It seems like he was 
very much withdrawn from the outside world. Uh, he wouldn't go past his borders. He was he was only concerned with with his small area. That's what he had uh, dominion over, and uh, he was not going to bother with outside happenings. It seems that Gandalf and the elves have a very high uh, reverence for Tom Bombadil, and it makes you wonder just how powerful this this creature is. Uh, if he is a Maya, or uh, you know, is he more powerful than Gandalf? Is he more powerful than Sauron or Sauron? He definitely does some pretty impressive things. Um, he has obviously some pretty powerful magic. Uh, one, to be able to uh, control the ring to some extent, at least. And then, of course, to appear when Frodo sings, basically, when he must have been miles and miles away, and opening up this down, of course, uh, seems like a pretty impressive thing to do. Just makes you wonder, just just what can this guy do? You never find out. Um, and I, I guess, you know, you think, well, gosh, they should have recruited him to go off and fight Sauron or something, but I, I think, of course, he, he had kind of removed himself from the outside world. He had set his borders and what was within those borders is what he troubled with and what happened outside of them he left alone. Tom Bombadil is one of those characters that you read that part of the book and you think, uh, what did Tolkien mean by this? He must have had a, a message or, or something he wanted to get across with this character because you know, Bombadil doesn't really play a, a part in the larger story. And you could basically cut that whole section out and not not have a plot hole, you know, as they do in the movies. It, it's pretty seamless. I mean, I would have loved to have seen him in the movies, but it wasn't necessary. Doesn't mean it's not great. It just means it wasn't necessary. So, what did Tolkien mean by Tom Bombadil? Well, I think Bombadil is... There's a lot of good messages we can get out of it. You know, Bombadil is the master. He he controls uh, this land that he that he has set. He has set his boundaries. He doesn't wish to expand them. He's just chosen that to be his domain. Now, the Hobbit suggests, well, does he own all this land then? And and Goldberry dismisses that and says, oh, well, that would be a bother. Uh, he doesn't need to own it. He He's the master. He's kind of like the shepherd. He keeps things in line. Each creature and each living thing owns itself. And uh, that's all that's necessary. And that's that's kind of a neat idea. You know, especially today in this age where owning things means everything, it seems. Uh, Tom Bombadil didn't need that. He He was just the master. He had his domain, he had control, he just kept things in line, he didn't need to expand his domain, he wasn't looking to become more powerful. I don't think his power really meant anything to him. It was just what he was. Bombadil is really similar to, to Treebeard in a lot of ways. I think they both kind of have a green uh, environmental kind of aspect to them. I think they're both very shepherd-like. Uh, they don't, you know, especially Bombadil, you know, Old Man Will seems to be this old evil tree. You'd think, well, gosh, just chop him down. But Tom doesn't do that. He doesn't need to do that. He's the master. Each living thing has its own 
right to exist, and uh, it's not Tom's duty to go uh, destroy things that that uh, have been there for you know who knows how old the willow is thousands of years. It's not his job to destroy those things. It's just his job to kind of keep them in line and and leave them be. One of my favorite quotes in all of Lord of the Rings is uh, when the hobbits are trying to figure out just what Tom Bombadil is, and uh, they ask they ask him, "Who are you?" And uh, he says something like, "Oh, you know my name. Uh, what other answer is there? You know, who are you yourself and nameless?" I think that's kind of a good thing to think about. You know, who are you without your name? Personally, I think it's neat to to think about that, and I think a lot of people probably don't think about that enough. I think uh, it's not the right thing to say that people don't think about themselves enough. Uh, people think about themselves probably too much, but in their own ways. Uh, it's it's neat to kind of explore yourself and think, you know, gosh, who am I? You know, forget your name. For just who are you based on what you've done and, and who you are inside? Uh, it's a tough question to ask and a uh, tough one to answer. I think that's uh, that's one of the parts of the book that really really made me think. You know, I think of all the characters in Middle Earth, all the creatures, and I think, well, gosh, if I if I had one day in Middle Earth or, or one week, you know, who would I want to spend it with? And um, of course, you know, Gandalf's at the top of that list, and and you know, maybe I'd want to spend a week in Hobbiton, or you know, even Minas Tirith, you know. Gosh, it'd be hard to choose. But I think if it came right down to it, and I had to pick one place to go or one one character to to spend some time with, I think I'd pick Tom Bombadil. Of course, you know, he's the eldest. He's been in Middle Earth since the very beginning. It seems. Uh, you think he could answer pretty much any question you'd have about Middle Earth. He seems to to know what's going on, and uh, <laughs> it just seems like it'd be a fun time. I, I think I'd love to spend a a day in the house of Tom Bombadil, or, or a week even. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think I would. I would choose him above uh, any other place, any other creature in Middle Earth. That's who I'd want to spend some time with if if I had to pick one. So Tom Bombadil is one of my favorite characters, and I know he's he's a favorite of a lot of other Tolkien fans. And I know a lot of people were upset or disappointed when he wasn't in Fellowship of the Ring. And while, yeah, I, I would like to see him too. I completely understand why he wasn't you know to put him in that movie number one they couldn't have done him justice because he would have got three four minutes tops and if they did do him justice if they gave him the 15 minutes uh, that he would deserve you would just kind of confuse a lot of other people that that weren't familiar with Tolkien's work, that didn't read the books ahead of time. So there's basically no way to do it. It, it was better just to leave him out than to stick him in and do it, you know, halfway. Because if they did it all the way, they would have probably turned a lot of other people off, you know, for not good reasons, but they would have. And like it or not, it's about selling movie tickets, it's about selling DVDs, and they wanted to make as much money as they could, so, you know, they weren't making a movie just for Tolkien fans, they were making a movie to make money, and to do that, they had to sell it to everybody, so, no Tom Bombadil was fine with me, 
didn't really bother me. Of course, you want to see him, but that's okay. I mean, I, I would rather not seen him at all than seen him halfway. All right, well, that's it for our character discussion for this episode, and that's it for this episode. Uh, I want to remind you to check out the website, lotrradio.com. I want to encourage any of you out there who you know, want to contribute in some way, whether it's uh, you know, reading some poetry and having it played in an episode or or any other way. You know, Do you have some ideas for, for this podcast? you want to you know, help out with, uh, with anything? You know, I encourage you. I need all the help I can get. Uh, so go to the website, lotrradio.com. Or email me, aaronawolf at gmail.com, A-A-R-O-N-A-W-O-L-F-E at gmail.com. Uh, for episode 8, I I really want to try and get it out in mid-December, because I know if I wait until the end of the month with Christmas and everything else, it's just going to get pushed off. So I want to really get it done you know, mid-December. I'm not promising anything, but I want to try. Uh, so check out the website. There's a... New poll for the character discussion for next month. Uh, let's see, what were the choices? Galadriel, Theoden, uh, Turin Turinbar, and uh, what was the other one? Elrond. Uh, so go vote for a character discussion. Um, I'm thinking for December I'll probably do... Uh, a listener sent this in. Um, I'll probably do kind of a guide to Tolkien's written work. You know, we all know about... Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, Silmarillion. I want to go through basically everything he wrote and uh, not really review it, but just kind of give a quick guide uh, for those who might not know all of the, the lesser-known, uh, less popular works of Tolkien. So, uh, also check out our forum at the website, lotrradio.com. You know, you can uh, become a member, you'll get emails, you can post in the forum, talk to other members, uh, had a lot to sign up so far, so go ahead and check it out. I guess that's it for this episode. Uh, hope to have another one ready mid-December. Thank you for listening. Roast them alive. Or stew them in a pot. Fry them, boil them, bake them hot. Bake and toast them. Fry and roast them till beers glaze and eyes glaze till hair swells and skins black. Fat melts and bones black in cinders lie beneath the sky. So Fifteen birds in high fir trees. Their feathers were fed. In a fiery breeze, but funny little birds, they had no wings. Oh, what shall we do with the funny little things? Oh, what shall we do?